Do your best, Lord, to protect. Other than that, you know what I want. There's no use me repeating myself. Mr. Dunn? I owe you money. No, sir. I know your mama. Thought you might be interested in training me. I don't train girls. People see me fat, Sam. Pretty tough. Girly. Tough ain't enough. There's magic of fighting battles beyond endurance. It's the magic of risking everything for a dream that nobody sees but you. Who's your new girl? Jesus. Working the bag, boss. I'm not your boss. You have bags working you. Did you write your daughter? Every week. Girl tends to be coming along. Almost like someone's been helping her. I seen you looking at me. Yeah, out of pity. Don't you say that if it ain't true. If I'm too old for this, then I got nothing. If I take you on, I promise I'll work so hard. You don't question me, and I'm gonna try to forget the fact that you're a girl. Now, what is the rule? Protect myself at all times. Good. Find a man, marry him. People hear about what you're doing and they, they laugh at you. <laughs> I got nobody but you, Frankie. Well, you've got me. I made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'm just trying to keep you from doing the same. I know, boss. Good man to have in the corner. Yes, he is. Hey, hey get the hell down, you old I just want to keep her with me. You just protected yourself out of a championship. Frankie, I've seen you at Mass almost every day for 23 years. The only person who comes to church that much is the kind who can't forgive himself for something. You got a fight I don't know about? You gonna leave me? Never. is kevin this is the props podcast on the beckett podcasting network this week we're about you to you by spotty hot cash and the spotty hot cash hotline over on the fat packs podcast what's up kevin dude i'm fired up i'm go, fired up go cowboys go cowboys but i'm also fired up because of this movie this was a great movie man make a bold statement right here right now okay now it's not my favorite because like i love necessary roughness and mighty ducks <laughs> abnormally but this is million dollar baby is the best movie that we've reviewed that we've ever reviewed yes you think so yes i, think, I do I, I i could see that now i was it's better than raging bull oh it's far better than raging bull with this like i watched it i watched this this weekend as we both did but like the mules coming out this coming weekend yeah, i want to see that and now i'm like even more amped up for it i mean this got me into clint eastwood 88 year old drug running mule so i want to i want to see that okay <laughs> i want to see that but I mean, this was a great film i really loved it uh, this this hit on many levels for me i feel like there's probably not enough uh 
back and forth between us. I, I, uh, our, I can see that our taste in movie are, are pretty similar. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not a lot of argument. If you're coming here looking for a debate or whatnot, it's probably not the best show for you. But we really like, we both really like this film. So uh, let's let's just get into it. I think it. it's less controversial on this one. I'm yeah. pretty sure, though, I know we'll get to this in the awards. I feel pretty confident this movie won Best Picture. Uh-huh. So, like, you know... If there's ever going to be the only movie I ever, okay, if you want to, I'll give you a debate I had with some other people. Okay. Is <clears throat> back in the day, I had a huge argument with a group of my friends about a beautiful mind. Okay. There was Russell Crowe, right? Yes. Okay. There were six of us that went to go see that movie. Four people left during the movie. What? The only people that remained were me and the person I was dating at the time, and she fell asleep. And the only reason she didn't leave is because I was her ride. Okay. So they all hated it, and they all left. And you best believe I hit all of them up on Academy Award night to pe- point out that Beautiful Mind had won Best Picture. Sure. And I was like, vindication, baby. Nice. But uh, no no such concerns here as you – I would have – I like, I legitimately would have been sad if you didn't enjoy this movie because I thought that this movie was damn near perfect. I, yeah, I did too. From the way it was shot to, like, the soundtrack – and uh, just just so many different aspects of it that the shocking twist. Yes, the very shocking twist, right? Good Lord. <laughs> so um, let, let's just jump right in. You, you uh, we all, we always do the log line. Uh, I, I brought up the, the Asian movie poster for this, Ooh. so um, I wanted to see if that that log line was any different. And there's not one. So, oh, there you go. Sad, 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 sad. I don't know that. Well, Gran Torino doesn't have one either, but that's a different movie. I just assumed Gran Torino was Get Off My Lawn. Get Off My Lawn. Uh, there, Racial slur. There's like, not really a log line here. Uh, I don't think that it needed one, though. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it, it's. Well, mine would have been Who's the Boss? Oh. But, you know, like, I like bits and fun. So sure. I that probably wouldn't have fit with this one. He kept, she, you know, boss is a good a good thing here. She kept, she kept calling him That's boss. That's right. Don't call me boss. Don't call me boss. Call All me right. Boss. So there's no long line. But the star power in this, the red carpet star power is amazing. Like, it seems like a third of the DC, uh, the, the Marvel Universe is in it with. <laughs> yes. <laughs> with Anthony Mackie. Um. Michael Pena is in it. The, uh, who's it? it plays uh, Luke Cage. He's in it. As Mike well. Coulter. Mike, Mike Coulter is in it. It's- who I I don't think I knew anything about. Like I mean, I'd seen this movie before, but you know, some of these movies that we watch, it's been a while. Like it had been a long time since I've seen Raging Bull. It had been a long yeah. time since I've seen this movie, and I was like, "Holy crap! Is that Luke Cage?" I like I had zero percent recognition sure. that Luke Cage was going to be in this. And then, I, personally, I was really excited that I would forgotten Jay Baruchel oh my gosh. was in this. And I know, you know, go Canada here. Yeah. So, uh, and I even he has a, like, one of the things, and, and I know we'll get into this more, but one of the things that I think works best about this movie is even the most seemingly irrelevant subplots right. have a good payoff. Yes. And Jay Baruchel has what seems to just be a comic relief element to this movie. And maybe that's all it is, and that's fine. But there is a really cool moment with Anthony Mackie, 
with Morgan Freeman, who I feel like set the template for his mentor character. Right. And this, like we talked about with Raging Bull, Joe Pesci set the template for every character he played in the next 35 years. Right. I feel like uh, Morgan Freeman, especially given the fact that not only the character he plays, he's also the narrator. Sure. I feel like he sets the template for what he's done the last 15 years in this movie. So there's a great scene with Morgan Freeman, Jay Baruchel, and Anthony Mackie mm -hmm. that brings all of their... Uh, subplots into just a perfect payoff. It right. really does. Right. In what would normally seem like a fairly irrelevant side plot, that's one of the things that this movie does so well is it ties up all the loose ends, including with Hillary F Swank's family, which yeah. seems like an irrelevant subplot now, until you get in <laughs> until there. Until you get into it. Her mother is played by Margot Martindale, who she she played it perfectly coming from she's a, the worst oh yeah coming from a a small town that knows rednecks and hillbillies well i can tell you that margot martindale's um <laughs> fitzgerald is perfect uh, she only has what three scenes yeah i hate her so much yeah. which that's the sign that you've done a tremendous job yes as with the writing tremendous job i hated her sure absolutely Hated her. Uh, Hillary Swank, as you mentioned, Morgan Freeman. Uh, and then Clint Eastwood. Can I tell you, can I tell, let you in on a little secret here? I mean, you're running the board, so yes. Okay. Um, I was aware of Clint Eastwood before this movie. Okay. Oh. Right? You know, but I didn't like any which way, but loose and all that. I, I wasn't an, into him. What an odd movie to list yeah. as your number one Clint Eastwood. <laughs> like, I wasn't into him. I didn't, I didn't, okay. I didn't care about him. Like, but this movie really kind of introduced Clint, East to, Clint Eastwood to me as an actor because I knew those other movies. I just, Dirty Harry, I, I didn't care. Okay, so but, no good, bad, and ugly. Yeah, okay. that just wasn't me. But I, I saw this and it made me want to go back and watch those other films. He directed it yeah, too. exactly. He directed it too. He also did, uh, oh gosh. Uh, Unforgiven. Unforgiven. Is it Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? I think he yeah. did. I yeah. don't love that movie as much. I mean, I've seen it, but. The Bridges of Madison County. I don't honestly. I don't think I've ever seen that. Like okay. I, I know people are like, "Oh, you got to see it," but I don't think I ever saw that movie. But so this inter this introduced me to Clint Eastwood. Okay, and wow. I was I was. It's weird, isn't it? That is weird. So like, it made me want to go back and watch those. Uh, they're all there. I kind of know you. Know, sure, but I never took the time to watch them, and uh, I'm kind of glad that I didn't because I love Clint Eastwood in this. Yes, he's tremendous yes. in this. He really, he really is, and. This is a. I think this is a really good example of a movie taking advantage of what its cast does well, sure. as opposed to trying to make like you know like if you're casting a movie and you got George Clooney, like of course you're going to make the movie because you have George Clooney. But like, are you going to put George Clooney in a role that's going to take advantage of what he does, mm -hmm. or are you going to just make like? <clears throat> pardon me. I think you saw that with Leatherheads. I don't necessarily think that was the totally best use of George Clooney. Sure. But they got George Clooney. You're going to make the movie. In this one, I think they, they took perfect advantage of everything they have, which makes sense since Clint Eastwood is also the director. He's like, I know what I can do. I know what I can't do. I know what Morgan Freeman can do. I know what he can't do. I know what Hillary Swank can do from, by the way, she's fantastic in this yeah, movie. Yes, she is. Pretty sure she won. I'm almost 100% positive she won Best Actress for this which would be her second in like four years right. after Boys Don't Cry. But this is so much different than Boys Don't Cry. And, dude, she looks like a buff badass who you would not want to mess with in this movie. We're not going to run them down now, but just to 
give you a little preview of what's to come later. This movie won four Oscars. It won another 63 awards. Sure. It, it was nominated for another 83. Holy we're, smokes. We're not going to break down that whole list, obviously, but this thing raked. Absolutely raked. And Hilary Swink was at the top of that list, man. She was amazing in this. She's phenomenal. Like, it's a, it's a far cry from Karate Kid 3. It, or four. It, yeah, the, the next Karate <laughs> yeah. Kid, right, where the whole big thing was Mr. Miyagi walked in when she was changing shirts. Like, I remember because I love the Karate Kid movies, so sure. I saw that. I was like, who the hell is this person? I definitely wouldn't have thought one of these people will go on to win two Academy Awards. <laughs> um, but, yeah, she's she's great in it. And, like, I, and I don't – I'll have to come up with new words. But if you look at it, like, Anthony Mackie. It's a small part, mm-hmm. but future Falcon. Sure. He's tremendous as the super arrogant hotshot boxer that sticks around. Also great in 8 Mile and just... Yeah. I mean... Jay Baruchel, yeah. great as the guy who has a dream, never going to get to that dream, but by God, if he doesn't keep... You know, he's the comic relief. I yep. think Mike Coulter is... Is, is really tremendous, too. And Mike Coulter is important because, you know, he's making his run at the heavyweight championship, mm-hmm. and Clint Eastwood kind of holds him back a little bit. Uh, you know, debatable. But given that he won the heavyweight championship, maybe not so debatable. Sure. And so that's a great setup because it seems like then he's holding back Hillary Swank, and you're like, dang it, Clint Eastwood, mm-hmm. have you learned nothing from earlier in the movie? And right. so you think he's going to fall into the same trap as he did with Mike Coulter. So Luke Cage plays an important part in this movie, too. Everyone Absolutely. has a, a role that it pays off eventually. Absolutely. Yeah, you said it earlier, but they do a great job of tying up the ends here. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about the budget. This had a production budget of $30 million. It opened limited on December 15th. You could get in for the Oscars. Exactly. Uh, opening weekend, so limited release on an opening weekend, not the greatest. Couple of hundred. Uh, not, yeah, not quite. Uh, well, no, i got to find the number again. I, I, scrolled, I scrolled away from it. Let me go down here to it. Ba, 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 169,000. 179,953. I think, because I'm really fascinated by the Academy Awards, I think you only have to be in between two or four theaters Mm -hmm. for two consecutive weeks that are not in the same city to qualify. And so December 15th, well, that'll work just perfectly. That'll be your two consecutive weeks. I'm sure they put it in New York, L.A., Maybe stuck it somewhere in between. Sure. Although, you know, this seems like a fancier coast movie, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, the flyover states are not. Yeah, Nevada, exactly. Right? Like, I wouldn't put this in <laughs> Omaha to open or whatever. But um, so, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense to me. So this is uh, back-to-back movies for us that were released on December 15th. So they're both Christmas films. <laughs> well, they both worked out because I'm pretty sure they won. They both won Best Picture. So, you know. <laughs> uh, both limited releases for, for theaters. So, um yeah, there we go. So domestically, though, it's grossed $100,492,000 and worldwide $216 million. And I do remember this one. This is a movie that got a huge bump from the Academy Awards. You know, like sometimes that happens, sometimes mm-hmm. it doesn't. Sure. So, for example, you know, people are talking about like Black Panther, if Black Panther will be up for the, all these Academy Awards. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But it's not going to get a box office bump because it's already made $80 quadrillion. Mm-hmm. You know, but there are plenty of other movies out there, you know, whether it's Green Book or whatever, that if they were up for Best Picture and Best Actor and Best, like, they might get a huge bump. I remember Million Dollar Baby really made a big run in the box office after 
all these award nominations came out. Sure. So let's let's look at what it was up against. Uh, that oh man, this how this didn't make more money is weird. Uh, hide and seek. I don't even know that movie. Do you know that movie? No. Are we there yet? Uh, yeah, nothing, the Ice Cube. Yeah, movie? nothing wrong with Ice Cube. Uh, but this came in third behind Hide and Seek and Are We There Yet and just above Meet the Fockers. Uh, I could see that. That was probably on the tail end of its run there. Yeah, Coach Carter, the, av- the Aviator, Racing Stripes, Sideways, which is a really good movie. That is a really good movie. Uh, that movie's good, better than Aviator. Yes. Uh, in Good Company, Assault on Precinct 13, and The Phantom of the Opera. Oh, Okay. That's not what this podcast is about. Right. But you best rest assured, Christmas evening, I went to go see Phantom of the Opera in the movie theater. I am a Phantom of the Opera super fan. Okay. So Phantom of the Opera is going to be here in the Metroplex December 26th. If for some reason you listen to this and you're like, I live in the Metroplex, I'm going to be at that Fair Park showing on December 26th. Look for me. I will be there. I got those tickets for my birthday. I love <laughs> Phantom of the Opera. Okay, like, man. Love. I could do a Phantom of the Opera podcast. Just the whole thing. Yes, I could. Okay, well, we're not going to go there today. Darn. But, uh, but I'll just say it if you ever want. To. I'll take your word for it, buddy. Uh, actually, it's it is a good it is a good uh, good show there. It is a good show. The movie. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. So you you mentioned earlier you went to the theater with six people to see this, four of which that was beautiful. Mine. Oh, beautiful. I'm sorry. Okay. So but this I one. but I did see this in the theater as well. And the reason why I know for a fact that is because by the time this hit wide release is at the beginning of '05, mm-hmm. correct? Yes. And so uh, my son was born at the uh, at the end of 2004, at the end of October in 2004. So you're still to the point where, especially with the first kid, uh, you're still to the point where. When you leave the house and you don't have your son, that's that's a big deal. Of course, yeah. Yeah, and so I remember this was one of the, like, you had to really, like, Phantom was one because that just had to happen. And sure. then this was another one where you had it had to be something worth your while to leave the house. And so I remember thinking that this was a really good movie, and it definitely had elements of female Rocky mm-hmm. going to it. And then in the last 30 minutes, it takes the craziest turn ever. I remember sitting in the theater stunned. Like I'm talking when you find out that Madonna is blank face and Dick Tracy stunned. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was stunned at that, too. Uh, oh, my God. That might... Who... Dick Tracy. Oh yeah, that I'm telling you, man. Is Ned Beatty in the room? Is that that, that might have been that might have been the first movie where I was ever stunned at a turn of events in the movie. You okay, because I was a kid when that came out. Like, how, how about Pacino as Flat Top? Oh well, yeah, but like, and they were great in that. But like, this was a reveal. Who was sure. Blank Face? Sure. What? It was Madonna. Are you kidding me? Um, but yeah, so I remember because this takes a. St- stunning turn of events that i was in shock in the theater and then like there's another 30 minutes to deal with that and that's where she really secures her academy award like right, i she right. might have won it anyway but like that last 30 minutes sure it really makes sure like if you weren't paying attention let's give her the trophy now let's go ahead and just, meryl streep was busy that year oh, or yeah. something. so even if she wasn't <laughs> she's gonna lose all right so you you get out of the house you go see this yeah uh, this for me I re- this came out while uh, well I was just on the the back end of a deployment and I was coming home 
and uh, this was a straight to go to the store when it's released on DVD to buy it. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, because I was one of those guys that had a lot, a huge DVD collection, and um, I don't anymore. But that was me. I would go buy everything new on Tuesdays, right? See what the PX has, and this was one of those. I have a, I have a really odd philosophy about that. Not, I guess maybe not that odd. I'm very much against that. Okay. I don't think you should buy anything that you've never watched. I even remember telling a friend that once who was going to buy Animal House, and she was like, I mean, it's a classic, right? And I was like, but you've never seen it? You shouldn't buy it. You shouldn't She buy bought it. it anyway. I was like, it is great. Yeah. I love it, but you might not. Sure. So, fascinating. There was, yeah, it was, it was a straight to the, I got to go pick it up as soon as it comes out. And I think, honestly, to be just completely transparent with you, I was probably just bored and didn't have much to do. Sure. So uh, after playing Tiger Woods golf for, for hours upon hours. I imagine when you come back, it's, it's yeah. a pretty big adjustment. So. Exactly. Sure. So I got to find something to do, and uh, it was it was movies. So I went and picked this up, watched it. I watched it by myself in my living room, I can okay. remember. And I really enjoyed it, and I, I, didn't, I probably enjoyed it more this time around than I did the first time. And it's one of those things where I don't know if this thought had crossed your mind, but I'm watching it, and I'm like don't i own this movie why, sure. why don't i watch this movie more this is great yeah and like i thought that even before the twist you know because like you get about 30 minutes out and, and it seems like the whole movie is about her run to the mm-hmm. title mm-hmm. about clint eastwood's run of redemption from losing luke cage who he watches win the heavyweight title a la rocky five which is super weird so that's easily the worst rocky but right. that's a scene that's taken straight out of rocky five of course so for as great as this movie is they totally stole from an awful movie (laughs) um and so you wonder if it's his redemption story if it's her story in the world and it's just a it's a really great movie and i'm watching it and i'm like why why have i not seen this movie like eight times it's fantastic yeah because this was definitely the first time i've watched it since then like i said yeah and i'm like why why i don't know if it's like this is something I would sit down and watch with my son and be yes. like, "This is a really good movie." Me too. And I described it to my son. He was like, "Whoa, yeah." There's good life lessons here. There you know? is. I mean, so well, except for like maybe the very end. I don't know if I want to push that life lesson, but you know, that's up for debate. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand that, but at least the feeling is. Yeah, there, no, right? I know. Yeah. So, I mean, it's something that. Uh, yeah, I, I was just surprised that I don't. I don't own. Like, even this time, I rented it. You know, I didn't. I kind of want to. Yeah, I kind of want to buy it now. Yeah. Actually. Late Christmas present. Hey, you got a stocking stuffer yet? No. Oh, there you go. See? Stick it in, stick yeah. it in your stocking. Make it happen. Make it happen. Captain. Dev- <laughs> devoted props listeners, make it happen. Uh, this is one of my favorite segments that we do when we do this, uh, is how realistic the, the, the athletes were in this film. This was pretty damn impressive, man. It really was because, like, and it was fascinating, the people that they picked is I might give him more credit now, but like I thought Mike Coulter was really good mm-hmm. in this, but I give him more credit because I know him now as sure. Luke Cage, and I'm just watching him, and I'm like, oh, yeah, just wait. This dude's going to be gigantic, and he's going to look like he could kill everyone in the world. Right. So I just kind of went ahead and gave him credit. But if you look at, like, they have three distinct, uh, maybe four distinct different styles, is you have big bruiser Luke Cage, as the heavyweight, mm-hmm. you have uh, maybe closer to middleweight, cruiserweight in Anthony Mackey, mm-hmm. who is the arrogant fighter, and they do a good job of showing him off. And then you have the one punch grit person in Hillary Swank, mm-hmm. and that's a totally different dynamic, too, because obviously she's smaller and she's a female boxer. And then you have Jay Baruchel, just as the worst ever, but he really wants it. Mm-hmm. So they have a whole bunch of different styles, but I'm telling you, man. 
you told me during Raging Bull that uh, Robert De Niro had a couple, like three legit fights. Right. I bought Hillary Swank, especially you look at the way she was built. Sure. She looks like she's ready to beat some people down. You know where it caught me, where she caught me the most was that step back that she developed during the training. Yeah. And at, and you saw it in her matches. What I loved about this film a lot is that you, you get to see her box. Yes, and, uh, a lot. <laughs> and at one point, you know, she she thinks she's ready, and Eastwood tells her, "No, you you haven't fought long enough yet." It's because she's knocking everybody out in the first round. Yeah, and she can't he can't find a fight for her. But in those fights, you see her actually box, use footwork, and use that step back that she was taught on the training bag by um, by uh, Morgan Freeman's character. So it was really impressive. Uh, she was great, and also probably my favorite line of the entire movie is, you know, I, th- I think it's when she's fighting the British heavyweight champion. Yeah. And that's the first time where you kind of think Clint Eastwood's going to lose her, mm-hmm. is she's like, I'm having a hard time getting on the inside, boss. And she's like, and Clint Eastwood goes, uh, yeah, that's because uh, she's, she, you. <laughs> she's younger than you, she's faster than you, and she's better than you. And you're just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the motivation. <laughs> like, I don't really know what we're shooting for here. But even I was like, Oh yeah, you're screwed. You're totally gonna lose. And he, and, he, and then he ends that by saying, "So what are you gonna do about it?" And then she comes out and just beats her ass. Yeah, she <laughs> so, does. But in that moment, you're like, "Ooh, yeah, trouble." Uh, so, as a parent, are you hard truth guy or are you? Oh yeah. yeah. So, all right, then you can understand you related to it. And but it was like, <gasps> well, I mean, we hit a hard truth a couple of weeks ago. My son, he had an issue with. You know, he says confused, whatever, and I just looked at him quite frankly, and I was like, "Do you want to be a liar or not?" Mm. And it was just like, "Ooh!" Mm. Saw the look on his face, and I was like, "I know it hurts." I was like, "It hurts me too." I don't want to think of you like that. I don't want to call you that. But sure. Here we are. There you go. Gosh, I'm glad dude, you're come on, dad. man. <laughs> like, think about it. You, we, I know we do the podcast and stuff, but right. like you and I interact a lot off of, the air. Of course, well. yes. Yeah. This can't surprise you. No, right? it doesn't. It doesn't at all. Everything about me should let you know that I'm pretty plain spoken about what I think about whatever. Yes. And so when I told you, and you might be able to hear it now on air, when I told you Saturday, hey, be ready. I might not be able to go on Monday because uh-huh. my voice is all jacked up. You had to know, like, oh, yeah. probably not making that up. I wasn't surprised at all. No, and, and I'm not surprised that you're hard truth, Dad. So that's great because neither am I. I'm 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 hard truth, Eli. Oh, I've, like I've seen you with Eli. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, just in church, this past he was he was like shadow boxing this kid and but the kid wanted no part of it and i said eli the next time you fake punch him i'm gonna real punch you wow. and he was like he was like okay i'm I done like i'm done that's uh, like a catchy that's like a, that could be a catchy tagline yeah dude. <laughs> it could be the, the one person i wanted to bring up here is uh lucia Riker. she played the she played big blue or blue bear oh um hater yeah but man she was she, I thought she was like a professional boxer or something, and I, t- I did a little digging, and she's really just a, just an actor, but she's, she's a badass. She's tremendous in this movie because she legitimately strikes fear into you as an opponent, and mm-hmm. that's that's such the key. Like if you go back to, uh, if you go back to some of the Rocky movies, specifically Rocky three and four, like because I don't think Apollo Creed struck fear in you because that is not what he was meant to be like Correct. muhammad he like clearly a muhammad ali template there right i mean that's what this whole story is with chuck webner and everything is based off of but like he was portrayed as 
he's the best mm-hmm. because he is, and he will outskill you to death. Right. And that's what he did. You know, Apollo Creed never lost, well, until Rocky II. <laughs> Spoiler. Um, but in Rocky Three with Clubber Lang, and then in Rocky Four with Drago, these are like menacing opponents, whether it's in other fights or in training montages. Right. They set up the menace. This one with Blue, you're right. They set up the menace in one of her other fights and then a lot of talk about her being dirty, which, again, seems like an irrelevant subplot mm-hmm. that comes out to be huge right. in this movie. Right. Even even in the fight in the in the first round when she kind of takes some shots after the oh, after the bell sure. and the ref comes over and says you do this again you're done and as soon as he walks away she snickers and winks at her her husband slash trainer so because she knows yeah she knows and she ends up losing a point but it's totally worth it because she gets to just take a just totally insane shot at Hillary Swank that right. me personally I think it's worth a point on the scorecards we have this discussion with my friends UFC all the time they have a really bad habit of not taking points away for right. groin shots mm-hmm. and one of my friends is insistent he was like if it was me I would kick him in the groin twice <laughs> yeah. and you're probably not going to lose a point you get five minutes to recover but it's going to affect you and I was like what a devious strategy that I kind of think could pay off not that I advocate such things yeah. but you know uh, yeah, let that be known that Kevin and Eric do not advocate kidding, kicking kicking in the groin. Uh, but it's just an intriguing hypothetical <laughs> right. that I'm like, I don't think you're wrong. Uh, I wanted to bring this out here. She is in a movie called I Love You, Mommy. It's a short film, and she plays the Grim Reaper. And that doesn't surprise oh me at all. Oh, my God. So uh, she, I just wanted to point her out because she did a really good job in, she in, is, in the short film. Yeah, she is good. So uh, that's great. So I think overall we agree that the, the athleticism in this is great. It, it, it's top-notch. It really is. And it's top-notch in a different way from Raging Bull. I, I told you in Raging Bull, I thought they did a good job of keeping the camera super tight and you feel claustrophobic. Mm-hmm. Right. But that is a little bit of a gimmick. I mean, it's sure. a great gimmick. Props to Scorsese for that. You didn't need that in here. Not at all. Because it really felt like Hillary Swank was ready to take on the amateur boxing ranks. Absolutely. It really did. Absolutely. So this is what I want to do here. I want to break down the film, but I want to kind of fat. Well, I want to touch on the important parts, but I want to get to the twist because, or or the last thirty minutes of the. It film. is a twist. I yeah. mean, I was shocked. Yeah, absolutely shocked. So, uh, the the movie opens. Uh, there's a, there's a fight going on with uh, the, the champion um, Michael Coulter, and he is or the wannabe champion. Yep. He, he's being held back, and and he you see him in a ring. He's fighting, but up in the catwalk is Hillary Schwank, and she's watching the fight, and she's plotting on how to get yep. Frankie to train her. And it's uh, that's where it all starts, and then she kind of just shows up at the gym one day. Yep, and it won't go away. It just absolutely won't go away. And then you talked about the life lessons. That's a good lesson about persistence, right there. Is persistence will get you a whole lot of places, mm-hmm. and it did in this instance sure. as well. Although you know, you also learn along the way, stubbornness could cost you. Is like I'm sure Clint Eastwood thought he was doing what was right, right. by Mike Coulter, but. Yeah, my culture's got to do what's right for him and his family as well. There's that heartbreaking scene where Mike Coulter shows up at Clint Eastwood's house mm-hmm. and he thanks him for taking care of the problems with the car. But it's kind of like it's a bigger picture thing. Is like Clint Eastwood stepped up and he's like almost like a dad, you know? Right, exactly. And he helped bail them out of a situation. But from Mike Coulter's perspective, one of the reasons he's in that situation is because he thinks Clint Eastwood's holding him back back. from the big money paydays. And so it's kind of tough because you're like, man, you're so awesome and you really helped me out, but I need to go to that next level. And at some point, like, 
you know, it could be relationships. It could be professional. You feel like maybe you outgrow people. Sure. And that was an instance where I didn't look, and I thought that, and that's another reason that I thought Mike Coulter did a great job in this movie, is I didn't look at him as the bad guy. Like, I was bummed that he was leaving. Right. But he seemed genuinely upset that he had to leave. But he knew he was right to leave. And his next fight, he wins the heavyweight title. So you're like, okay, maybe you were right. There, his next fight, um, <laughs> they're, they're watch, uh, gosh, stolen straight out of Rocky Five. Frankie and um, Eddie are watching it separately because Eddie has HBO. <laughs> sure, <laughs> um, and uh, Eddie is the lone person in this film that can talk to Frankie, and Frankie will listen to. Yep. So. He after the fight, Eddie asked him flat out, you know, what do you think about this? You know, what happened? And and he tells him he, he he tells him something. He tells him an excuse, and then Eddie calls him on his BS, and he's like, no, that's not really what happened. This is this is what happened. So I just really appreciated their relationship throughout the whole film because uh, it was a little bit of banter back and forth, kind of like a like a grumpier old man type thing, maybe. I could see that, but you could tell that they loved each other and they respected each other because. Frankie was the only one that, well, Eddie was the only one that Frankie would listen to. He's, uh, Morgan Freeman has a great story that he tells to Hillary, Sla- Hillary Swank along the way, too. That when he, and it's just another one of those things. There, uh, my favorite two things in this movie are setups that you don't know are being set up. And sure. then when they hit you, mm-hmm. it, you feel like you got punched. Right. And one of them is the stool. And the other mm-hmm. one is the expiration date. Mm-hmm. And Morgan Freeman has this monologue where he says, every fighter has an expiration date. You just don't know when it is. Mine was 109 fights. Mm-hmm. And Hillary Swank's like, oh, you fought 109 times? And he goes, no, I fought 110 times. And you're like, oh, no. Nah. And then he tells the story about how he lost his eye. The other one is while Hil- Hillary Swank, and that's a tremendous bit of foreshadowing. Sure. And then the other one is... While Hillary Swank's coming up in the more in, in the world, every at the end of every round, you see him put the stool down. You see mm-hmm. him put the stool down. You see him put the stool down. Right. You have no idea that the stool not being put down correctly is what's going to end up with her getting paralyzed yes. in the shocking turn. Like even now, I'm still thinking about it, and like I knew it was heck, it was coming, and it was still shocking to me. Sure, of course, absolutely. Um, and it, it breaks his heart, obviously. But they did such a good yeah. job setting it up. Yeah, like, sure I thought did. back about it when I'm watching it, and now that I'd seen it again, they, it's not an out of nowhere. No. They set up the stool like 50 times. Yes, they have to. And uh, props to Clint Eastwood for his direction yes. in the film, you know, of doing that. So, but with Clint Eastwood, his character is is broken. He is oh for sure. He is a broken man. He doesn't have a relationship with his daughter, who he he loves and cares about, but he doesn't know how to express that to her. And honestly, that felt like for a while it was going to be the love subplot that mm-hmm. went nowhere. Exactly. But even that ties up all together at the end because you find out Morgan Freeman auditioning for March of the Penguins uh, <laughs> is the narrator right. in the movie. But what he's narrating is a letter, a letter. to Clint Eastwood's daughter exactly. because she always does return to sender. Mm-hmm. And that, like you said, that's one of the reasons that he's broken. And you, you get that odd sense of hope. Sure. Is that like... The movie ends, ter- I mean, it's terribly sad. Like, Hillary yeah. Swank, Swank dies because Clint Eastwood helps 
put her out mm-hmm. because she begs him to after she bites off her own tongue and, <laughs> and his daughter still won't talk to him. And it's like so crushingly sad. Right. And there's this little bit of hope that Morgan Freeman is writing this letter that maybe she'll read it yeah. and that she'll reach out to her dad. Exactly. I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. But like, it's a little bit of optimism sure. at the end of a crushingly sad movie. Um, yeah, crushingly sad. It is. Even, even like the dog story that she tells, and she doesn't realize that the shovel's in the truck until he gets back from the woods where her dad has to kill the dog. And I'm just like, God, that's sad. It is. That is so damn sad. But in between all that is a great love story between uh, between Maggie and Frankie. He doesn't he doesn't want to like her, but he grows to love her, and yep. uh, he he teaches her everything that he can. And even then, there's still an, another subplot between Maggie and her family, and she's trying to love them and do the best that she can. And Hillbilly Mama is not having any of it. I'd forgotten about the climactic scene with them in the hospital. And I was like, oh, no, this is going to be the only part of the movie that's not perfect. Sure. Because I didn't feel like there was a good payoff with the family. Mm-hmm. Like, they're her family. They suck. Yeah. They're, she's like, her mom is the epitome of the welfare queen, right? Can, can I stop you right yeah. there? When she says, my sister is lying to welfare because she's still claiming one of her babies that died like that. It's horrible. To, like I, I was crushed. I was like, that was the part that brought the tear to my eye. I was like, that's so jacked up. It really is. And then, like, I guess that's her sister. Yeah, that's her sister. And uh, so Hillary Swank coming up in the world buys them a house, mm-hmm. and her mom is furious with her because now the government is going to notice that she has a house and she's not going to be able to get welfare. Right. And she needs welfare to live. And you're like, but why? Yeah. She just bought you this house, and then she said, I'll send you whatever money you need. Repeatedly. Yes. And then she's like, well, you shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have done that. And then the sister's like, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. And you're just like, shut up. She just bought you a house. What the hell are you talking about? And then, But like, then it feels like it's not going to go anywhere because you're like, okay, her family sucks. This feels like an incomplete right. uh, subplot. But then they complete it after Hillary Swank gets paralyzed in the title fight, which is the only quibble I have with this. We'll wrap back around to sure. that is you know she's paralyzed and her family is clearly trying to steal her money by getting her power of attorney right right and that's what brought it all into focus and made the movie perfect again sure is because she tells her family off because her family including this dirtbag brother-in-law who's just shown up is like you know just sign it we'll take care of your money because you lost and i was like you son of a bitch. Sorry for the language. No but like when they're in there is the mom says, well, you did still lose. And you're like, are you kidding me? Right. Like your freaking daughter is paralyzed because of this. And you don't even like, you don't say anything positive. You just want her money. And then she drops the pen out of her mouth and she says, get the hell out of here. And you're just like, hell yeah. yeah. Good. Cause that brought it all back into perspective because you know, you talked about the love story, the platonic love story right. between Clint Eastwood and Hillary Swank. But at the end of the day, she was going to choose her family because yeah. they're her family. Yeah. And she even tells Clint Eastwood that. But then she gets a really cold lesson in that hospital room. And yep. then she's like, get out. Yeah. I choose Clint Eastwood. Yep. And it's just, it's perfection. He again. tries to protect her in that. He scene. does. He's still, 
this is uh, he he sees himself as a father figure. To her, he's still her manager. He's still her manager. He's trying to honestly, to honest to goodness, do the right thing. In that moment, though, she has to be the one that does that, and she realizes it, and she she chooses to go ahead and tell her to, to step off. Because unlike in the title fight, this time she protected herself to the very end. Exactly. Exactly. It's beautiful, man. It's a beautiful. Like, and I'm not being sarcastic. It really is. So, uh, one one thing that I did want to uh, get here before we get into the memorabilia and all that is the wrap up of the uh, of of Danger and and Anthony Mackie and and that is 100 percent my favorite part of this movie because it's another subplot. Yeah. that feels like. It was just for comic relief. Right. You feel like Jay Baruchel and Anthony Mackie are there for comic relief. And I get it. Serious when this movie's mm-hmm. crushingly sad. Yes. Needs comic relief. But then it all comes to a head where Anthony Mackie tells Morgan Freeman that the toilet is stopped up. Right. And so while he's doing it, they finally get Jay Baruchel, who says he's going to beat Thomas Hitman Hearns. And you're like... How long have you stopped watching boxing to become the heavyweight or the middleweight champion of the world? Gets in the ring with Anthony Mackie, who beats the ever-loved crap out of him. <laughs> and then finally Morgan Freeman hears it. He goes out there. He saves the day. Mm-hmm. Throws a glove on for fight number 111. And just knocks Anthony Mackie out. One glove. Yeah. And it, and it goes back to what they said. is like, if Anthony Mackie had the heart of Jay Baruchel, right. or Jay Baruchel had the skill of Anthony Mackie, mm-hmm. either one of them would be a world champion. Sure. But they're both deficient. But Jay Baruchel can still be a good person. Right. Anthony Mackie, well, we'll see. Needed to get knocked down. We'll see if he becomes a good person. The, 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 the side plan, Omar, the side friend here, played by Michael Pena, um, perfect compliment to like oh, his, yeah. he's his little lackey you know he's, oh sure he's kind of like an ant-man exactly kind of like an ant-man uh but gosh this paid off perfectly and then he knocks out Mackie and he says 110 and then it's all wrapped up it was beautiful it's tremendous and like so there are there are plenty of heartfelt like super positive moments mm-hmm. but we we've made allusions to it. We've talked about the aftermath, but the big twist in it is, and there's still like 35 minutes to go in the movie by the time Hillary Swank gets to her title fight, and she's gonna win her title yeah, fight. Yeah, absolutely. Like she takes the first round, what would have been 10 to nine, but then the champ gets a point knocked off, right. and so she takes that first round 10 to eight. Right. She knocks her down in the second round, so that's another 10 to eight round. Mm-hmm. Like, she's clearly, Hillary Swank is going to win this fight. Absolutely. And then after, I think it's after round three, another round that she dominates, is the champ, while Hillary Swank is going back to her corner, the champ just unloads Mm -hmm. and punches her in the back of the head. And the stool is out there, but Clint Eastwood, who doesn't have Morgan Freeman with him, hasn't hasn't set the stool up the way he does. 50 times throughout the mm-hmm. movie. And even then, it was would have been devastating, probably. But So she falls neck first on the side of the stool. Breaks her neck. Yep. Breaks Snap. her neck. Mm-hmm. Fractures her vertebrae. Instantly, she's crippled. And it's horrifying. And even for half a second, you get the look on the champ's face of, yeah, oh, my God. Too far? You know? Right. And this is the only only minor quibble I have with this movie, which I think this movie is almost perfect. 
there's no way that Hillary Swank does not win this fight, okay? Mm-hmm. Because, first of all, the champion had already got docked a point and given a warning in the first round. And he says, if you pull crap like this one more time, mm-hmm. I'm going to disqualify you. Well, rest assured, if you punch someone in the back of the head after the round is over, you're done. You're going to get disqualified. So Hillary Swank is going to win this fight by disqualification. Mm -hmm. And it's not like wrestling where you have to be pinfall or submission. So she's going to win the belt. So that's the only issue I have with that. But I feel like Clint Eastwood's like, nope, no happy endings for anyone in this movie. (laughs) Because I think Hillary Swank should have won this fight by disqualification and thus been the new world champ world champion. but they make reference to it is clint eastwood who keeps saying he's going to tell her what their secret phrase on the robe says right uh she doesn't get to know because he says that she lost her family says that she lost right i i dispute that in logical terms sure. she did not lose that she fight. didn't lose makushna right yes makushna my darling my blood what and good god like <laughs> i didn't because i'm think i'm dead inside but if there's going to be a moment where you're going to cry mm-hmm. is hillary swank begs clint eastwood to kill her right which it turns is like a weird euthanasia conversation to end the movie it was like sure you go to this boxing movie and then you end up talking with your friends what do you think about assisted suicide after it like that's why i said <laughs> it really is a weird twist is like she begs him to kill her and that was m- maybe one of my favorite scenes in the movie is he goes don't ask me to do that. Right. And she looks at him and she goes, I'm asking you. Yeah. And it's crushing. And then he says, I can't. So she bites off her own tongue mm-hmm. to try to kill herself. And when that doesn't work, she tries it again. And then the hospital has to like rig up her mouth so she mm-hmm. can't. And like you could tell, she's going to do whatever it takes to eventually end her life. So then he agrees he's going to, gives her the adrenaline shot. And right before he hugs her and says, Makushna is my darling Mm -hmm. and it's like you feel like you're getting punched yeah it's devastating because you're like oh what a nice moment by the way you're about to die you you left out a little part there that i think is really important here is when he goes to the priest and and this priest who he has fought with the whole movie which is another subplot that seems like it will go nowhere exactly that ties back i'm so glad that you brought that up so he he goes to this priest who first the first thing i noticed about this film was the way Frankie prayed because it was very angry and whatever we don't quite know what happens because that happens at the beginning of the movie and he says he says dear God please take care of Katie uh you know such and such and you know what I want but if you're not going to do it I guess we're done talking and that was that was the end of the prayer and I was like that's that's pretty angry for for somebody who's praying and then uh, it all ties up and the priest tells him you've been coming to morning mass for 49 years straight or 29 years straight nobody does that unless they're carrying something that they cannot forgive themselves for yep. and and then that's where they're having the relevant conversation about you cannot kill this young lady because if you do you cannot come back from that and it gets to the point to where he has to make that decision of well she's never going to be the same and the way she pleads with him she says i can't live after this i've seen the world i've seen what's yep. out there I can't go on as a as a paraplegic. I can't do it. So he's t- he is forced. His hand is forced almost to do this. Especially since Hillary Swank is clearly subbing in for Katie. Yeah. In this yeah. instance, and like you oddly feel like whatever wrong he did to his daughter, 
he right. feels like he's kind of trying to make up for exactly. it here in a twist. And like, I know that sounds twisted and like how is killing somebody. I mean, but if you see the movie, mm-hmm. you can't escape that. You kind of want him to do it. Kind of do. All right, let's get. To I could say that since it's a fictitious movie, but you feel so bad. Like sure. real life. Oh my god, what a horrible decision to have to make. And that's the thing is, you get invested in these characters, and you feel like it's a horrible decision to have to make, and they're not even real. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, let's get into the awards because, like I said earlier, this this won a ton of awards. Uh, can can we focus on the Oscars real quick? Yeah, of course. Okay, so you said it won four. It won four. I'm almost positive it won Best Actress and Best Picture. So Best Picture, yes. Uh, Best Actress, yes. Cinematographer? No. Okay. No. Screenplay? No. It, the, both of these are... Uh, Technical? Editing? No. Uh, Best Supporting Actor? Oh, Morgan Freeman? Morgan Freeman? He's phenomenal. Wow, I didn't even know that. He yeah. is phenomenal in this movie. And Best Director. Oh, Clint Eastwood. Yes. Uh-huh. Wow. So everybody, so Clint Eastwood didn't win for Best Actor, but mm-hmm. which I'm sure he was nominated, uh, but he did win for Best. Wow. So yeah. everybody got a piece of yeah, this. Sure Holy did. smokes. But he was nominated for Actor, Best Actor, Best Writing uh, Adapted of a Screenplay, and Best Achievement in Film Editing. Okay. So, yeah. So, so huh. the, c- cinematography, all that's right yeah, there. You so know? everybody got a piece. Uh, Golden Globes, uh, Best Best uh, actress Hillary Swank, best director uh, Clint Eastwood. I remember Hillary Swank winning like every conceivable award yeah, for this. She, like this was the most anticlimactic thing ever because they were like, "Well, it's not not going to be Hillary Swank." Exactly. So. Uh, Screen Actors Guild, same thing. Hillary Swank and Morgan Freeman this time. I I, I like this. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen this award show, and I don't think I'd ever would. But the AARP Movie for Grown Ups Awards. Oh, this one's <laughs> got to dominate. Right? Exactly right. But it only it was only nominees. Uh, best director for Clint Eastwood and best screenwriter. Uh, the AFI Awards. How did he not win for best actor? I don't this know. is the oldest person performance ever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, AFI Awards. I'm not familiar with that. It was a winner of uh, oh gosh, my movie of the year. So and that's the American Film Institute yeah. who did the top 100 in okay, 100. All right, all right, I got so, you yeah. now. All right, uh, African American Film Critics Association uh, winner top 10 films of the sure. Year. Okay, uh, Amanda Awards in Norway best foreign feature film. Oh, uh, American Screenwriters Association winner Paul Higgins for his screen adaptation. The Actors Director Guild. Paul Higgins is that's hey I'm sorry I said Haggis it's Haggis yeah that's Haggis. the guy who directed Crash yeah Haggis H A G G I S uh, Art Directors Guild nominee Contemporary Film so okay all right whatever that means Awards Circuit uh, Community Awards and there's just so many of them I'm not going to name all of them but it, it, this thing the B E T Awards Best Actor Morgan Freeman. He's tremendous. In absolutely, this movie. absolutely. And I, you know, we talked about how maybe the last thirty minutes clinch it for Hillary Swank. I think your favorite scene clinched it for oh, absolutely, Morgan Freeman. Yes, yes, because this that scene's awesome. Like you said earlier, this kind of set the template for narration of Morgan Freeman. It does, and yeah. like, and it's, and I'm telling you, the very last scene gives you that odd bit of hope because you think he's just the narrator as a plot device for the movie, which I get. Mm-hmm. But then you find out the plot device is really the only lingering 
unfinished subplot right. is Clint Eastwood and his daughter, because right. even after the paralyzation, you see that she's still returning the letters that he keeps writing and keeps saving. And then you get the sense that, like, maybe she'll read this letter from Morgan Freeman. Maybe she'll ask to see her dad, and her dad will give her that box of letters. Sure. And last one I'm going to mention here because there's just so many of them. But the Dallas-Fort Worth Film Critics Association winner, Best Picture, and Best Actress, and nominee, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Director, Clint Eastwood. So this thing ranked. As it should. Yes. It's tremendous. Absolutely. I can't tell you that enough. Um, And I know the critics are going to make me mad because it's not going to be 100% across the board. (laughs) But it, it's so good, and um, I, we I'll, I, we usually ask this at the end, but I'll, I'll go ahead and just say it's, it's a classic, right? It's a classic. This is the best movie we've ever reviewed on props. It's not my favorite just because, like I said, like from a watchability perspective, I could watch Necessary Roughness and Mighty Ducks 50 times over the next 50 years. Sure. But this is, in terms of quality, it's the best movie we've ever reviewed on props, and it is superior to Raging Bull, Don't At Me. Yeah, it's absolutely superior than Raging Bull. If anybody at you off of this podcast, I want to talk to those people. At Oh Thank Kevin, if you and, want to. Oh Thank but, what, a, what a great name, too. Yeah. Um, so let, let's go into the collectibles. What, what do you want from this film? Three things. So I want uh, one of them is a little creepy, and I apologize for that. Uh-huh. I want the heavyweight belt that Luke Cage wins okay. in the televised fight. Sure. I want the robe. That Hillary Swank wears on the European tour. Okay. And then I want the glove. Oh, yeah. That the champ uses Absolutely. to punch her in the back of the head and paralyze her. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. It's terrible. These are fictitious people, which makes me feel better about saying that. But that would be surely the most infamous piece of boxing memorabilia just about that you could pick yeah. up is like you just paralyzed the million dollar baby. Mm-hmm. And I want that glove. I get it. I get it. I'm a bad person. You're you're a horrible man. Uh, I'll agree. I want the glove that Freeman knocked out Mackie with. Oh yeah. Well, oh, actually, yeah. It was a it was a three piece, and he, <laughs> he he knocked him out with a bare hand. But he he started it with that glove. So are you just real quick as an aside? This is the instant thing I thought about. Have you ever heard of a person named Art Jimerson? No, I have not. That's fine. You probably shouldn't have, and if you have, I'd be like, you need to reevaluate your life, <laughs> which is why I know who he is, because I need to reevaluate. Art Jimerson was in, uh, it might have ended up being the first UFC fight ever on the main card, UFC 1, All right. is he fights Hoist Gracie. So he's a boxer, and Art Jimerson rolls into the UFC, and this is what UFC was freak show. You know what? I do know he is, because I, go ahead, I'm sorry. He wears one glove right. out there, because he's like, I'm going to use my one glove for my boxing skill, mm-hmm. and then I want a free hand, because mm-hmm. in this crazy UFC thing that nobody knows what it is, mm-hmm. I can use it to push you down or whatever. Sure. Of course, he gets submitted by Hoist Gracie, who won three of the first four UFCs and only didn't win the other one because he got hurt right. in like devastating two-minute fashion. Right. But I, I instantly thought of Art Jimerson while I was watching that. I know, I know just given our association and, and who you work for and uh, everything, ESPN is probably not high on your list of... <laughs> Oh, kind of a scathing article I wrote about ESPN1053thefan.com <laughs> if you read it. Uh, but ESPN does have a great 30 for 30 podcast, and uh, they talk about UFC 1. That's how I know who okay, Art Jimerson yes. is. Uh, Royce Gracie, interestingly, interestingly enough, was picked from the Gracie family uh, because 
he was the drunkard and they wanted to prove that he was that their style of fighting was such superior to every other style that they could send the drunkard out there and he could still whip your ass and he did and he did <laughs> and he did point proven those first four ufcs really hammered that home yes uh okay so i want the glove that uh that eddie used to knock out Mackie. i want uh i want something from danger because danger is a danger is incredible he, I, you know what i want those pants that they make fun of him for wearing oh yeah those <laughs> those pants are great his big yeah and he keeps man there's a I know it's comic relief, but he keeps looking at that bottle of water, and he can't figure out how all the ice got into it. He even <laughs> asks that. Yes. That is so brilliant. Was in the freezer, moron. That is so brilliant. And then my go-to is a ticket from that championship fight. I need that ticket. Sure. And that's going to be – that's the great thing. I, I thought it was pretty uh, pretty subtle, too, is they pointed out that it was the main event of the evening. Yes. And they said our feature contest. And so she had really – she'd come out all the way up in the world, and it was a million-dollar, hence the title, million-dollar baby. Right. It was a million-dollar uh, purse split 50-50. Um. So I I checked out the um, the memorabilia that's available. There's tons of it signed by Clint, by Clint Eastwood and Hillary Swank and okay. Morgan Freeman. These are all going to run between 150 and 400 dollars depending on what it is. But it's out there and it's really cool. But let me to believe. I mean, is there a so in my world in pricing cards and and uh, relics and stuff like that? I know that collectors go crazy for anything fight worn by a female in the UFC cards. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Just that because, makes sense. Or, or, and WWE cards. So, sure. Like uh, Layla Ali had some matches. I would I would wonder if there's something out there with uh, with Layla Ali on it, which there is. Leaf produced a Muhammad Ali boxing set. Uh, it came. I think it was ten cards in the pack. It was probably about a hundred bucks. And it came separated. Uh, one side was um, just base cards. Okay. And then the other side, what you're gonna you were gonna get at least two autographs and three relics. And one of the relics was gonna be something fight worn from Muhammad. Shut up. So um, wow. these these were these were the second to last product ever produced by Leaf before Muhammad died. So um, you were getting something fight worn, but. Uh, Layla had stuff in there as well, so it's out there. You can find yeah. it. It's cool to have. I think. No, that would that sounds very cool. And instantly, and I'm sure this exists out in the world. Is especially after you won over the awards, the thought went to me is a boxing glove signed by Hillary Swank, Clint Eastwood, and Morgan Freeman, all of whom picked up Oscars for this movie. Right, would be pretty incredible, especially if they wrote like Oscar anywhere on there. Sure. I think that would be super cool. There is an also uh, available out there right now on Hollywood memorabilia, uh, a Clint Eastwood signed full full million dollar baby script, and it's uh, signed and already authenticated, and it's signed. Uh, it looks like in two places, Ooh. So, so that's that's pretty cool. I think they need to be a sponsor. You think so for this podcast too? I we think hi- so too. We hype them a good bit. We do hype them. A I good mean, it bit. seems like a good site. Seems like a really good site. And then there's a really good site. <laughs> there's one picture on here that I absolutely need to have. It's Jay Baruchel. Uh It's signed and it, it's signed to somebody named Matt. I don't know who Matt is, but it says, Matt, have a nice day. Danger. And, and yes. it's, so I, I need that one. Uh, What's that going for? Is that 60 him? bucks. Okay. It's not, it's not bad. Jay Baruchel is a fan of Beckett. He's a hockey card collector. I think probably I could just ask. We need to get him on Maybe. the on the the podcast. He's been in the Beckett magazine plenty of times. I think it's not hard to. Do. I would like to meet him. Well, I would like to meet him too. Um, since we're talking about um, 
boxing movies here. This is a movie that I wanted to do, but I don't think that we really have time to do it because it's a three and a half hour watch. It's a documentary uh, about Joe Johnson. I'm sorry, Joe, oh. uh, I'm sorry, Jack Johnson. Yes, and I'm familiar with his story. Um, it's it's a Ken Burns documentary. Oh, oh uh, it's only three and a half hours. Then. Only, exactly, and it's called Unforgivable Blackness. Yes, and, uh, he. I might have actually seen this a long time ago. This is a great film. It's 2004, so it's a uh, because he dared run around with white ladies. Yeah, right. He, he did everything as a black man in that era that you were not supposed to do. And he got away with it. And I, I say that he was the champ. He was the champ. And he was the first African American champion uh, of the world. So it's it's a great documentary. I recommend it for for boxing fans. If you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're probably a boxing. I fan. think I ha- I would think. Yeah. yeah, I have seen this back in the day. I actually watched this in college as part of one of my sociology classes. Really, it's been a long time, but yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. Well, it's great. So go check it out. Um, I told you earlier off air what the IMDb score was for this. Do you want to pretend like but, I didn't hear it? Yeah, you, it's you, too it's too low. It's too low. I honestly I would have put it at like eight eight. Okay, and it's eight one is what it is. That's too low. Like I mean, because that's on par with like Creed two. And don't right. get me wrong, I think Creed two is a very entertaining quality movie. Sure, but it ain't this. Yeah, this is far. This better. is a whole different level. Absolutely, uh, absolutely better. If. Man, now I'm going to be – I feel like I'm set up for disappointment. If it's lower than like – I think personally it should be like 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. But I feel like you're setting me up for disappointment here. So I'm going to say it's probably lower than that unfairly. It's 90%. and But it's also a 90% audience score. Okay. Okay. I just want to point out it has nothing to do with this other movie because I haven't seen this other movie. I think it comes out this week. But like – the new animated Spider-Man movie Spider-verse, is at a hun- yeah. it, the Spider-Verse into the Spider-Verse is at a hundred percent. Is it really? I'm sh- I'm sure that movie is awesome and it looks really cool. And my son loves the Miles Morales character because he read a book about him, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure it's awesome. But there is no way in hell <laughs> that Into the Spider-Verse is better than Million Dollar Baby. I know I probably shouldn't say that since I haven't seen it, but I can't fathom a world in which that movie is better than Million Dollar Baby. And don't get me wrong, this is a stupid complaint because 90% is still insane. Right. Like if you told somebody you were going to go see a 90% movie, you'd be like, hell yeah. But this movie should be like 98% because there's two curmudgeonly people who are like, I didn't like it because it was too good. Like, you know, this should be a 98%. This movie is damn near perfect. Uh, funny that you say that because I was looking through the reviews here. March 1st of this year, uh, doesn't say, uh, Rose Picate, too bad it's nihilism dressed up in compassion. She doesn't like it because of nihilism. <laughs> How is this movie have anything to do with that? So, and I, I hate to correct a pronunciation, and I might be wrong about this, but I'm just going to go off of what Big Lebowski taught me. Uh-huh. They taught me that it's pronounced nihilism. Nihilism? Okay. And I could be wrong because I'm basing it off of a movie I saw. I'm basing it off of Roger, uh, uh, Robin Williams. So Okay, well, you're probably right. I'm basing it off the Big Lebowski. That means you don't believe in anything. That's ridiculous. There are so many people in this movie that believe in so many things. Morgan Freeman believes to this day, or in the movie, that every fighter has an expiration date. Right. He believes in standing up against bullies. Clint Eastwood absolutely believes in things somewhat to his detriment. Right. And Hillary Swank believed that she couldn't 
couldn't live life the way that she needed to, but almost until the end, she believes in family. I think that review is foolishness. I think so, too. All right. This is your favorite site to review movies from, Metacritic. And this is the part that's really going to irritate me. Because if ever, the, this is a Metacritic movie, probably not as much as, what, do you remember what Raging Bull was? Because I felt like they were harsh on Raging Bull, and that seems like a Metacritic movie. Let's see. Let me look it up right quick. And as a rule of thumb, I say Metacritic goes lower than Rotten Tomatoes. So, okay. So this, Raging Bull was an 89. Okay. It's going to be lower than that then. And it's going to be lower than Rotten Tomatoes. So I would say like 85. 86. Okay. 86. 86 on Metacritic is pretty dang good. I think so. Yeah. Metacritic is brutal. I was not familiar with this website until you introduced it to me. So uh, It's brutal. Knowing what I know about it. So Raging Bull, it was an 89. And right below it, Raging Dove was a 58. So it hates. (laughs) Interesting. No, like if you ever think about it. Metacritic looks at Rotten Tomatoes as the audience score. Sure. Like, they look down on, oh, Rotten Tomatoes. That's the people's review. Like, right. they're, yeah, they're above all that. I got you. All right, so. Whatever. Uh, this movie rules. This movie if, you, if you've never seen it, watch it. If it's been five years or more since you've seen it, watch it again. Watch it again. It is really good. We've already decided it's a classic. So, uh, I guess the only thing we need left to do is talk about what we want to talk about next week. And I want to nominate Ali. Can we talk? Can we? Can we watch Ali? Sure. It's been a while since I've seen that, and it's interesting because you mentioned the uh, um, unforgivable blackness with uh, Johnson. Is it's not as extreme, but make no mistake, there are definitely elements of that in Ali too. Because yeah. oh, he dares run his mouth as a black man. Exactly. You better not. Exactly. Oh well, what are you going to do about it? Nothing. Nothing. So yeah, no, I'll watch that. It's been a while since I've seen that as well. I remember what I. Re- not to go into it heavily, but I remember when I, the first time I saw it, and I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. So I do need to warn you, I'm not a Will Smith fan. That's fine. I understand. For a variety of reasons. But I remember this movie being quite good. Can Jamie Foxx is in this movie. That's, what I, that's right. where I was going to go. Let's Jamie Foxx in this is brilliant. All right. As, I'm as, in. As did, yeah, it's, he's amazing. All right. So uh, I guess that's it this week. So uh, Go Cowboys. Go Cowboys. Go to 1053thefan.com and read my article about Greg Hardy and ESPN. It has to do with combat sports. Awesome. It's a little hot. Also, I just got a job there. But What? What? Are we announcing that? We are. Oh, my gosh. So I'm I'm officially part of the 1053. I don't know how in the world you even heard about this job or anything. That's astonishing. I don't know either. Thank you very much, sir. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. All right. Cut. That's a wrap. Thank mm-hmm. you.